0: Welcome into another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked on Sports Atlanta as we flip the counter, if you can believe it, into a June 1st today. Today on the show, Pro Football Focus says Kyle Pitts is elite. Is he? Is it time to protect Ronnie from continuing to get plunked? And another Hawks trade rumor. You know how we love our rumor and innuendo around here. All of that coming up on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta. We welcome you to another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to youtube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your search browser, find our page, and of course, subscribe to it. Let us know what you think by leaving us a comment there. Of course, we're also free and available on all of your favorite podcast platforms, so check us out on Odyssey, Spotify, all of your platforms that you find us. And of course, give me a follow on my personal Twitter page, at JMCH316. You know, I, I've i said I like Pro Football Focus. I think that they do a lot of good things. Um, I, do I believe everything that Pro Football Focus puts out? No. But I do like going through and looking at some of their rankings on different positional players and things like that. So the latest one that they've come out with is their tight end rankings and tiers. I thought this was a little bit interesting because, all right, so they break down tier number one is the elite guys in the NFL. Travis Kelsey is number one, George Kittle, number two, Darren Waller, number three, Mark Andrews, number four, no problem with, with any of that there. Then a little bit surprising just in the fact that Kyle Pitts is listed at number five. Um, they say here, what Pitts accomplishes a rookie was nothing short of remarkable. He turned an 82.3 receiving grade for that season, ranked sixth among qualifying tight ends, third among all rookies at his position. Um, 15 uh, plus yard plays. He had 29 explosive receptions and they kind of just go on and on and on things like that. And so let me say this. Um, Is Kyle Pitts elite right now? I'm going to tell you, no, Uh, right now, if you're winning today in the NFL, are you taking Kyle Pitts over Kelsey or Kittle or even Waller or potentially Andrews? Now, This is not to say that maybe by the end of this year, Kyle Pitts doesn't go into that elite category. I mean, certainly if he has another season that, you know, he catches a whole bunch of balls and, you know, he's got, you know, a thousand plus yards. But if you're telling me, I guess, elite in today's NFL, if you look at 110 targets, 68 touchdowns, 1,026 yards and just the one touchdown. Now we talked about this, that, what to me would be a good season for Kyle Pitts? I'd much rather see Kyle Pitts' numbers go down. If you told me it was 60 catches, 900 yards, but his touchdowns are six or eight or, you know, somewhere in that close to double-digit range, that's more important to me. But I don't know that right now I put Kyle Pitts in the same group of players as George Kittle or... Travis Kelsey. I think that those guys, and maybe just because of their years of experience, are a different group. You know, Darren Waller is an outstanding player. I mean, he's he's a terrific tight end. I'm not saying Kyle Pitts can't get and move beyond some of those guys. I just don't know that right now it's fair to put him in that. And look, I'm not trying to knock this, but a thousand twenty six yards in 17 games. You know, if you watch the Falcons week in, week out, you saw in the early part of the year, there were times when he wasn't getting on the field or he wasn't in some of their red zone packages. Okay, that can't happen this year. That can't happen. And the 110 targets, let's understand that that's with this guy named Matt Ryan. And it's kind of funny you know, when when you hear people talk about Matt Ryan because, uh, well, he's not there. Okay, have you read anything that the Indianapolis Colts From Frank Wright to Reggie Wayne to T.Y. Hilton to every coach play. Hell, you could go back 100. They're talking to Burt Jones and everybody who played for the Baltimore Colts who can't say nothing but good things about Matt. You don't think that Matt Ryan had anything to do with helping Kyle Pitts adjust and be a good player in his first year? And now you're saying to Kyle Pitts that we have – First off, the two quarterbacks we have, who's not a throw-first quarterback, okay? They didn't draft Kenny Pickett. They drafted a guy in Desmond Ritter, who, while I love Ritter, and he's my favorite draft pick, but he's not a huck-it-all-over-the-yard quarterback. That's not what his game is. Then your veteran, who will probably start, is a guy who, in his best-ever year, was 150 less attempts than Matt Ryan's average year for the last four. His average year of 600. His best ever is 453. So again, we're going to look at some of these numbers and say to ourselves, look, to me, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle are on a different plane. I I, 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 I don't think Kyle Pitts right now should be in that group of those guys. And especially Travis Kelsey is a complete game wrecker. Okay. Now look, Kyle Pitts is only going into his second year. He may end up being the greatest tight end in the history of the NFL. He may be the greatest mismatch in the history of the NFL when we look back. And I hope all of those things are true. I just think that there's been a little bit overvaluing about what his thousand yard season quote unquote was 1026 and 17 games. How many yards is that per game? I love the per average on his reception, but you would think a guy with all these explosive plays and things like that would have found his way into the end zone more than just literally one time. I mean, when you tied your season, when when you score a touchdown in the Pro Bowl and that ties your season total, it does make me scratch my head. And I know what the default is going to be from everybody. Oh, well, it's Matt Ryan. Uh, It's not Matt Ryan, folks. Okay. I I promise you Kyle Pitts was a better player because he had Matt Ryan as a quarterback. But how much is that growth going to move up this year when the offense sort of changes? Again, do you think that he's going to get 110 targets? If I just go off history and I use that as my indicator, are you telling me that Marcus Mariota is literally going to target Kyle Pitts almost one third of the time? that 33% of all of his targets are going to go to one guy this year. That's a lot. I mean, even for a tight end and look, we just saw, you know, we just read some of the numbers about how much Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey have meant to Pat Mahomes, right? Those two guys combined for like half of his yards and half of his touchdowns so far in his four years in the NFL. I'm not saying that he's not an important piece. It's just, I don't know, the, the 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 word elite, there were a lot of times when I saw catches and saw plays and I think to myself, man, this guy's a stud. But what did it mean in the end for the franchise? What, what did it really mean? Why was there not more touchdowns out of Kyle Pitts? And again, I, we could talk about the red zone efficiency and, and all these kinds of things. I'm just telling you that when I think of an elite, elite player, that barely breaking a thousand yards in now 17 games in the NFL with one touchdown, while I think he can get to that level. And I don't think there's any question that yes, he can be this unicorn and all these things that we want for this franchise. And maybe he becomes the best wide receiver we've seen since Julio Jones walked on here, but I, I I'm just not ready to put him into that. And part of it is, in looking at the numbers last year, but also thinking about what he's got at quarterback this year. Is he going to be able to grow and have a bigger, more breakout season? I hope, but I think that the story has yet to be written on all of that. All right. When we get back, is it time for the Braves to start protecting Ronnie? Because this is getting crazy nowadays. We'll talk about that next. It's hitting hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back into hitting Hard with John We're here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, asking you to head over to YouTube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your search browser, find us, subscribe to the channel, leave us a comment there. Of course, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Odyssey, Spotify, all of your favorites. Just feel free to download it uh, at any time and listen to us on the go and follow me on my personal Twitter page. That would be at MCH316. You know, I went to bed last night thinking, ah, eh, Braves got this. 6-4, they're up, all good to go. And, of course, the Braves lost last night, next trainings. innings. Are we still on the whole uh, Memorial Day or June 1st or third of the way through the sea? Are we still on all? Oh, okay, sorry. We had that discussion yesterday about everything. But one of the other things that happened again last night was Humberto Castellanos, the starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. He plunked Ronnie. After the catcher went out to talk to the pitcher, very next pitch, he throws and ends up hitting. Ronnie. Now, Brian Jordan brought up this point last time in the broadcast about, I don't know what it is, but this is happening too often that Ronnie's getting hit. If you look for his career, Ronnie's been hit 32 times already. Last year, he was hit nine times in literally half a season. This year in 22 games, 22 games, he's been hit four times already. Now, Okay, I understand some guys if you're leaning way over the plate or this, that, and the other. Is that really what Ronnie's doing? Is Ronnie doing anything differently than any other baseball player that's out there? I don't think so. And I know nowadays you see these guys and they come up in full armor. Like they come up to the plate as if they're one of the members of the Knights of the Round Table, right? Like they come up to the plate like they're about to go in a joust for King Arthur. So I get that, that, you know... Pitchers maybe don't fear the idea of hitting a guy. But when is enough is enough? When are the Braves themselves going to say enough is enough? Because every time I hear Snit talk about this, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it's one of those things. You know, it's all the same stuff. Can I tell you, I, I want to see Snit go kick dirt on an umpire and get the hell thrown out of there. Or, better yet, I want to see him tell his pitcher, I, I, I don't care if you have to go into your bullpen and you go grab whatever, Jabron, Gavone, Jamoke, Strutz, Gafozo, that you could care to, you want like Darren O'Day, hell, I don't care, call up a guy for a day if that's a, Call up a guy in the middle of a game and just throw a guy in there. And the first guy that comes up for last night, it was Arizona. First guy that comes up next inning, pow, right in the ribs. And you know what? If he gets thrown out of the game, next guy that you bring in, pow, right in the ribs. Or if they warn you on the first one, I'm throwing to the next guy. At some point, that this, we, we, for all the things you would think that Snickers old school, baseball mentality on you would think this would be one of the things about protecting Ronnie I'm not saying go up and throw at a guy's head or whatever like that okay but hit a guy in the ribs hit a guy on his tukus, right you know drop one in his dumper you got to do something at some point this is ridiculous in not even a full season he's been hit 13 times in 104 games played. That doesn't seem excessive at some point. And he's had other years where he's been hit nine times. He was hit nine times a couple of years ago in 2019. He was hit four times in the shortened COVID year where he played 46 games. And I don't think, again, like I said, this is not a matter of Ronnie is sticking himself way out over the plate or whatever like that. There just seems to be this mentality that I'm not going to let the Braves' best player beat me. Now, you would think it'd be kind of crazy for teams to want to put Ronnie on first base considering the speed and the disruption of a defense. He makes life tough for defenses. He makes tough li- life tough for pitchers. He can steal a base. He can score from first on a double. He can do all these kinds of things. You'd be kind of crazy. But there's got to be something going on that teams feel comfortable about plunking a guy like this. And I'm sorry, but there's no answer or there's no way to shut, you know, if I could use a Neganism, okay, from The Walking Dead, you got to shut that bleep down. You got to shut that sheet down, okay? And the way you're going to do it in old school baseball is, you know, you knock one of mine down, I knock one of yours down. You knock two of mine down, I knock three of yours down. You knock four of mine down, I knock six of yours down. And again, don't have to be in the head. You're not trying to hurt anybody. Throw one toward the ribs. Throw one at his dumper. Throw one at his thigh. And you know what? I'll sacrifice. Hell, you got 8,000 guys in the bullpen nowadays. I'm not saying take your closer and go out and throw it as dumper. But you got 8,000 guys in your bullpen. I can sacrifice, with all due respect, Darren O'Day. For a night, if that's what it takes. And you know what? If they do it again tomorrow night, then Jesse Chavez is going to come in and his job is going to be drop one in your dumper. But this has got to stop. And you're not going to change the mentality or the culture until teams understand that you come from one of ours, you go for one of them. And I'll give Ronnie credit. He's been very patient. He's been very good about not wanting to start an incident. But somebody needs to do it for him. And and I I don't know, maybe that's another positional player that that has to go after somebody. I'd like to see Snicker thrown out a little bit more in in defense of his player. And, And I'm serious, go kick some mump on the dirt, pick up a handful of dirt and toss it at the umpire. I don't care. Send a message. Do something other than, well, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, it's just kind of, you know, I, I, I don't know, you, know just, you look like a good pitch. You know, know, you know, instead of that, because this guy is your best player. And if teams feel like that they can get one over on your best player, or maybe they feel like they're trying to take him emotionally out of the game, or maybe they're trying to provoke him into doing something where he gets, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to ask, you know, Don Mattingly and those kinds of people that continuously plunk them. You know, the Marlins are the biggest, you know, and again, that's because the Braves play the Marlins 8,000 times a year. But the Marlins are the biggest, you know, contributor to all this. When, when do we start sending our message? When, when do we start knocking their guys down? You think Bob Gibson would have let one of his players, you think in the old days, Bob Gibson, the St. Louis Cardinals pitcher, Hall of Fame pitcher, one of the most intimidating guys in the history of Major League Baseball on the mound. If Lou Brock was going up and continuously getting plunked by teams, that Gibson wouldn't drop one in your dumper, throw at your thigh, ding your dumper, uh, run one up on your ribs. You don't think think Gibson wouldn't have have brushed you back or dropped you down to the ground and said, hey, man, you knock my guy down, I'm going to knock your guy down. And that's how it used to be in baseball. You know, I understand that there's a lot of things that people don't want to go back to in old school baseball and this, then, and the other. That's one of the things I wish we'd get back to. Where's my manager kicking dirt on an umpire and getting thrown out? Where's my manager going and grabbing a base off and throwing it out in left field? Where's one of my pitchers that I don't need to tell him to go drop a guy? Remember the whole situation with Terry Pendleton a long time ago? When, was it Marvin Freeman that didn't retaliate against some guy and Terry Pendleton walked off the field? Where's that mentality at? And again, we could talk about leadership things and this and any other. I'm not saying that this is a direct cause, but doesn't it make you wonder about, okay, if we're not going out there and protecting our best player, do we wonder why that we're not, you know, we wonder why we're not so good. We wonder why we're 10 and a half games back. We wonder why we're kind of floundering around. We wonder why after a game the response is, well, you know, I just kind of, you know, had one of those things. I just kind of, you know, kinda, you know I, don't, I don't know. It just kind of happened. You know, I mean, just one of those things. Protect your best player. And if that means run one on his ribs, throw at his thigh, ding up his dumper, I don't care. And if I have to sacrifice Darren O'Day or Jesse Chavez or one of the eight, Thousand guys I have in my bullpen in today's baseball world, then go do that. If that's what it takes to protect my best player, then do it. But this is getting to be ridiculous. 13 hit by pitch in 104 games played. Oi, is all I can say to all of that. All right. When we come back, you know how we love rumor and innuendo. Let's talk about another potential Hawks trade rumor. Ooh, saucy stuff. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta. Welcome back into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked on Sports Atlanta. Asking you to head over to youtube.com, put Locked on Sports Atlanta into your search browser, find us, subscribe, leave us a comment, tell us what you think about the show. And of course, follow me on my personal Twitter page at jmc 316 And of course, you can download for free on all of your favorite podcast platforms anytime Spotify, Odyssey, any of your favorite platforms. You can find us there. Free and easy to download and listen to us wherever, whenever you would like. I love rumored innuendo and we're getting closer and closer, right? We keep inching our way. Finals are going to start in the NBA on Thursday, more trade rumors and innuendo. Um, seems like every potential guy in the league is rumored to head to the Atlanta Hawks. The latest name that is out there is Detroit Pistons swing forward, Jeremy Grant. Now, Last year with the uh, Pistons, he's played two seasons with the Pistons after coming over from the Detroit, or sorry, from the Denver Nuggets. He's played with the Pistons the last couple of seasons. This past year, 19.2 points per game, 4.1 rebounds per game, 2.4 assists per game. The year before, With uh, the Pistons in his first year, 22 points per game with four rebounds and almost five assists. But last year, hampered by injury, only played in 47 games. Okay, that raises a little bit of red flag. So if you don't know about Jeremy Grant, he is a guy that was a bench player for the Denver Nuggets um, in their run from a couple of years ago. His calling card at that time was not just his offense, but really his defense. He was a very defensive-minded player. In fact, he was the guy that they would line up on LeBron or Anthony Davis. six 6'8 forward. He's considered to be a really good defensive forward, and he's a guy now that getting a chance to be the guy in Detroit is starting to hone his offensive game. Now, the injuries over the last couple of years scare me, Cause even a couple of years ago, and I know, you know, we had COVID and all this that and the other, but even in the shortened season of 72 games that he was only 47 games last year. And then he was 54 in the COVID year. So, okay. The injury part concerns me a little bit, but Chris Kirshner among some others have been talking about the team that sort of is in the lead for Jeremy Grant. If the Pistons are going to move on from him, because he is in the last year of a three for 60 deal. So he signed three for sixty. The reports and the rumor and innuendo is that he would get somewhere four years and hundred and twelve million dollars. Okay, what was what was John? John was five for one twenty-five or something like that, or you know, some somewhere around in that range. But okay, four for one twelve—that's a pretty good price tag on a guy. Do the Pistons want to pay that, or would they rather try to get something back now? The rumored and believed leader in the clubhouse for Grant Services are the Portland Trailblazers, and that's because a couple of years ago, in the Olympic Trials and all that kind of stuff, developed a good relationship with Dane Lillard. And trading CJ McCollum, they're trying to you know rebuild this roster. And the rumor and innuendo there is they still want to build around Lillard. All right, they still want to build around Damian Lillard, and he's still their superstar. They want to start to put some good pieces around him, and Grant does have a relationship with him, and they did become close a couple of years at the Olympic trials and all that kind of stuff. Okay, that's fine. Now the other rumor, though, coming out is the Atlanta Hawks, that the Hawks supposedly, if you believe what Chris Kirshner and some others have said, that they did try to acquire him a couple of years ago before he did come to the Pistons, that they were very high on Grant and thought he would be, that good two-way swing player, that offensive-minded, defensive presence, you know, forward that could play small forward and play guys on the perimeter but also get down low with some guys because of some of his size and strength. So the rumor in innuendo for a trade is using either Bogdan Bogdanovich or Danilo Gallinari and especially potentially Gallinari because of his expiring contract and freeing up the money. But they also talk about the idea that Bogdanovich in the 16th pick might be a better scenario for the Pistons. Now, when I hear that, that doesn't sound like very good compensation to get back for Jeremy Grant. For If I'm the Pistons and this is my best player and he's a valuable commodity and he's in the final year of a contract that doesn't pay him a whole lot, even knowing that a team is going to have to extend him, and obviously you want to feel like if you're a team that you're going to be able to extend him right away, you're not going to be able to just let him go to free agency or anything like that, you're going to feel like you can extend him out there. That doesn't seem like enough. And I wonder, you know, and look from a money standpoint, yes, it fits in Bugdanovich or Galinari with the 16th pick of the draft. Okay. Now we talked yesterday about the fact of making and taking advantage of your mid lower tier first round picks and finding yourself good pieces. So 16th might not be a bad pick to give up in this year's draft because it could have some value and some things like that to it. I don't know if I don't know if that's enough to get him. But if you told me I could have Bogdanovich in the 16th pick or Gallinari in the 16th pick for Jeremy Grant, I'd do that in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. So then the question becomes, where do you play him? What do you do with him? Because he is a swing forward. Well, last I looked, um, I do have John Collins. That's you know my quote-unquote power four to play with. Clint Capella. Um, I do have DeAndre Hunter, who is supposed to be my small forward wing player. Does that mean DeAndre Hunter becomes more of sort of a two-guard? I don't know if his offense is good enough to be something like that. Something tells me that you know you you would have to maybe look at moving on from one of those guys, Collins or um DeAndre Hunter, if you decide to go this route. I don't know that that he fits along with what they want to do, because I still think that let's say if it's Gallinari. OK, that still gives me bogey, bogey and herder to play in the backcourt. Those guys are shooting guys. You're not those are not your replacements for Trey Young when he's you know off the court or what have you. you got to find, you know, whether it's the lawn ride or something like that, you know, find a legitimate you know backup point guard to to back up Trey. But he is an intriguing prospect. And again, the injuries do give me some pause and concern when a guy has only played, you know, what's he played? A hundred and uh, a 10 or 111 games. Um, sorry, 101 games in a two year stretch, 54 and 47. When a guy's only played 101 games in two years, even with COVID and shortened seasons and all that kind of stuff, that's a little bit concerning, but he is a guy that doesn't cost a whole lot of money. Um, right now he's only 28 years old. He just turned 28 back in March. So he's still a guy that you think of as in the prime of his career. But if you're talking about a guy who could probably get you 20 a night and he's a stopper defensively, and that's where he made his bones with the Denver Nuggets is being a defensive stopper. That's where he made his name was, especially going up against LeBron when they played the Nuggets and Lakers a few years ago in the playoffs. That's where he's really made his bones. I'd be all in favor of this. My question would be: One is, is the compensation enough? Now, if you told me I have to give up DeAndre Hunter and the 16th pick, would I do that for Jeremy Grant? Remember, I said, can I upgrade that specific position before when we talked about? I might be hesitant to move on from Hunter unless I can get enough star. Is Grant a big enough star to do that? Maybe. I'd have to. I I wouldn't be as quick to say yes to that deal um as I would say Bogdanovich or Gallinari plus the 16th pick I mean that would be a no-brainer for it and I'll figure out what I got to do with my roster from there don't know if I'd be willing to just give up DeAndre Hunter in the 16th pick because I still want to see if DeAndre Hunter can grow and he can find a role and can he be a real keep cog in what I'm doing and Hunter's frankly going to cost you less money in the long term than what Grant is I mean if we're talking about four for 112 that's a pretty big chunk of money for the Hawks to throw into their payroll, right? I mean, you are definitely luxury tax bound at that point. You're already teetering on it, but you are definitely luxury tax bound at that point. So I like the idea of Grant. I, I like the fact that they had some interest in him. I like the proposed compensation packages. If it doesn't necessarily include Hunter, would I be willing to give up John Collins in the 16th pick? Maybe. You're going to trade out money, and Grant is probably a better version of that. So Collins I could probably live with. Hunter I'd have to think about. But if I bring him on, at least he's a guy who we look at and say is 20. He's a 20-5 and player, but he is a defensive stopper and certainly that's one of the things that the Hawks desperately need. All right, we thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thanks for making and Hard with John Shuckery your first listen, asking you to make ATL Day 1s your second listen. My friends Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste speak to all things in the heart of Atlanta, talking about Falcons, Hawks, dogs, everything that you could want and more local and beyond. A great conversation between those two, as always. Check them out, free and available on YouTube. Go to Locked On Sports Atlanta on YouTube. Subscribe to our page there. Leave us a comment. And of course, it's free and available just like this show is on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Download it today. And as always, we ask you to follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. We thank you so much as we flip into June for being a part of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. This is Locked on Sports Atlanta.